Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. And I'm still Devlin. This is part two of our finale of Mr. Robot. It's interesting that it ends on the number 13, so a historically unlucky number. And I also thought, uh, you know, the number of disciples of Jesus Christ, if you include Mary Magdalene. Oh, wow. So, you know, I didn't really know about the Magda symbolism, but knowing that um, they do have like other biblical names, biblical references, I could tell that that was going to be something that became important by the end. So Elliot is in the aftermath and he's doing what he describes as a full wipe down and what I described as an out, out damn spot moment. <laughs> yeah, well, he is literally washing off his own blood, which is kind of screwed up when you think about it. Um, I also think that like this is a time when Elliot, he's saying he's doing a full wipe down and then he's like actually physically wiping. I don't think that's something that we associate with him. It's actually very literal this time. He has the only black car in this world of white cars. And I think it's Terrell's car. It is Tyrell's car, and it's in the same um, parking lot that Kareem had attended to in season two. He gets a call from uh, his father-in-law-to-be, uh, as odd as that sounds, because he's late. They're already doing wedding photos out on Coney Island. And I feel like I have some people in my life who are like this, and he's like, oh, geez, I'll be right there. And I think it takes uh, several hours to move through the mechanics of these <laughs> next few things and actually get there. That just sounds like our family, to be honest. Or maybe just me. Yeah, some of us are very efficient. He moves the car to out front of the building because part of this full wipe down, of course, has to include the physical removal of Happy Elliot. There's a funny visual gag that comes up here because we know that Elliot's, um, he was moving. Um, when I'm talking about Elliot here, I'm referring to alternate universe Elliot or O Elliot. And just to be clear about that, we'll probably refer to original Elliot as Elliot and alternate universe Elliot as Oh, Elliot, correspondingly with the other characters. I have a little trivia point for you here. Okay. There's a man unloading a delivery truck in front of the building. That's a cameo from LP from Run the Jewels. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Well, you know, you had um, called out to Run the Jewels like in season one of the show. So, wow, you're really um, uh, guessing things in advance. I think they're uh, politically aligned, the two projects. <laughs> Elliot uh, conveniently has a number of moving boxes and a tape gun at his disposal. Uh, and he uses that to pack up the body uh, and then also get wedding ready. Yes. Yeah, so this is that visual gag I was saying. Uh, he's moving. We found that out. Um, but look at what the box says. Did you get a good look at that? I don't think I did get a good look at it. What does it say? We're watching it together. So you'll be able to catch your reaction in real time. Oh, self-storage? Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> uh, very literal for such a surreal episode. <laughs> I think we start to get a sense uh, once Mr. Robot shows up that Elliot thinks White Rose's machine has really worked and that she has transformed the world as they knew it and built this kinder, better world for both of them to live in. And they still are trying to um, make that ambiguous for us. Uh, it's more difficult to kind of put ourselves back in the headspace of when we were first watching this episode, and it was so confusing. Because um, now, like, we know how it's kind of ends. But I remember that it was just so, so crazy when I first um, had watched it. We see here that Mr. Robot is kind of reluctant to correct him, and he believes Elliot 
needs to see for himself that what he's doing isn't the right thing and he's not making the right decisions. But one thing Mr. Robot is adamant about is that this Elliot can't just jump into the other Elliot's place and carry on as though nothing has happened. Although he seems to be doing a good job so far. I don't know. Like, he doesn't seem that credible to me, but everyone around, I guess what other thing could they believe? (laughs) We get a character fave um, who stops him outside on the street so this is where we meet uh, Dominique DiPiero, New York City beat cop. <laughs> is that like the alternate profession you expect her to have? I guess law enforcement suits her. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't she? Didn't she like switch to FBI from law enforcement when she broke up with her fiance? She or went something? to law school. Oh, okay. So she would have become a lawyer. So do you think that like that is it? Does it relate to her being with her without the fiance that she mentions? I only mentioned that because it was like a theory that I saw online. Oh, not in any way that I could particularly tell. Yeah, I, d- I don't just mean to like gossip about her relationships, but I know that so much in this universe is about how subtle differences in relationships kind of have like a ripple effect across the lifetimes of people. This is also like all of my dreams, which seem exactly like my real life with just a couple of details wrong. So I know that it's a fantasy. I feel like I've been having so many of those crazy teeth loss nightmares lately. And what's weird is that like, in the dream, my teeth will start falling out. And even though it's the 200th time it's happened, I still never expect that it's a dream. <laughs> um, I had those dreams for many years. Apparently a lot of people have them. And it probably is just because I grind so much. I'm a very anxious person. <laughs> but funny, funny fact about this uh, scene. Um, they didn't um, seem to have locked down the street when they were recording this scene. So some leaked photos of Dom and Elliot um, had made their way onto the internet. And people were really wondering why is Dom in a police uniform and why is Elliot in a tuxedo? Obviously, we wouldn't uh, expect to see them like that. Do you notice she has no tattoos? No. Wow. Do you think she has tattoos in real life? I don't know how much Grace Gummer (laughs) is like this character. I feel like I was surprised that Dominique had them. Me too, yeah. But I wasn't sure if that was like a reflection of Grace Gummer or of Dom. (laughs) So she does notice the blood dripping out of the box. And um, at this point, she draws her weapon on Elliot and um, gets a look inside. She's pretty scared. And um, this also causes another one of those earthquakes when there's kind of like a, a disturbance in the force. And at this point, Elliot just takes off. One of my other favorite moments here is that when she looks at the ID, even though they would be visually identical, she hands it back to him, rejecting it, saying this person is nothing like you. Did that make you think of this old show that we used to love? Maybe it's like a cult classic, um, Dead Like Me, where the characters have like a different physical representation to other people than they see themselves. Oh, no, I didn't think of that, actually. What it kind of made me think of, and we know how this um, plays out later in the episode, but Elliot, um, he might not actually look like this other Elliot, because this is all in his universe. And um, just like Mr. Robot, uh, who we see in the subway, he looks different. Maybe Elliot also looks different to other people. It's an interesting thought because I thought it was just sort of a, you know, creepy ESP thing. Like, oh, you know, I can see your true nature and it's different. Elliot manages to escape Dom by slipping into a subway train. And we get here an empty car. Elliot and Mr. Robot, just like back at the beginning. Is this the last subway scene? Oh, I think it is too. Wow. How sad. And they're having a fight. Classic. Because Elliot... He had said he wanted to go on this mission alone when he went back to Washington Township. So one more bit of trivia. I don't know how it took me this long to figure this out, but um, 
If you head to the Wikipedia page for Sam Esmail, you'll find out that he went to Washington Township High School. Several of us would probably characterize our high schools as toxic yeah. nuclear sites. <laughs> it took me a really long time to switch from the high school nightmares to the tooth loss nightmares. That was a step <laughs> up. I think there's some really good acting between the two of them on the train and in this whole finale. But things start to take some very strange turns if they haven't been strange already once they arrive at Coney Island. So here we are. It's a beautiful, bright, sunny day. I don't know what time of year it is. Coney Island. There's so we no don't snow. Think, yeah, we don't think it's Christmas in this universe, huh? When Elliot arrives at the place where the wedding is set up, I think we notice immediately that all of the guests have the same physique, like hair color and cut. They're all wearing the same outfits and they're all wearing F Society masks. <laughs> um, when I get married, that will be like the, the bridal outfit or whatever it's called. I'm yeah. not going to get married, so I know what it's called, but yeah. <laughs> that's good because that's what I was going to wear anyway. So, <laughs> Now, who do you think the guests are supposed to be? I don't know. It feels so surreal, and I'm not even sure if they are supposed to be people or if it's just supposed to reflect the kind of scrutiny and otherworldliness that Elliot is feeling in this other universe. Mr. Robot offers him his hoodie because it's getting cold, and so that hoodie has become so much a signifier of the Elliot we know that I think it, it makes things seem more normal to see him put it back on. We also see him wearing the layered tuxedo and hoodie in the 104 hallucination scene. So this brings the weddings a little more, uh, more aligned. As far as the black hoodies go, um, when we were starting out this podcast, we got some black hoodies for you, I, and producer Dave, who's not um, on the line with us right now. I'm still wearing that hoodie right now. Somehow it still fits me three years later. but um, I still have mine. <laughs> yeah, so it's like something that we've also been hanging on to over the show as well. Magda had made a joke earlier in the episode about Angela being a runaway bride, and here she really is a runaway bride. And so you had suggested that Elliot putting the hoodie on is kind of our first call back to that earlier hallucination from when he was in morphine withdrawal. And I think these scenes with Angela pull us further and further back into that surreal kind of world. I do think there was a lot of speculation about why... Um, Elliot and Angela don't have scenes together, but I actually think it's a storytelling thing and I'll explain why. So Elliot, this whole finale is trying to get to Angela and once he gets to Angela, he has no more momentum anymore. There's no more forward motion. So he needs to continue in pursuit of her to keep him stuck in this loop and stuck in this world. So I actually think as soon as they put them in a scene together, it kind of causes that to fizzle out and change. So that was kind of my storytelling rationale for it. But I don't know if you'd agree. I do find that interesting. And I guess like um, we were talking about how while the universe is merging, um, the characters are actually having more and more conflict. So I think that if there actually was a scene that was with them both, it would really just like blow up this universe. And um, for what it's worth, like the rumors that we've heard about um, Remy and Portia Doubleday, those are all, I think, based on observations of them not having scenes together. So it's really like, it's constructed backwards. We don't really have any reason to think that there's anything wrong. It just is like an inference that people were picking up. So we're watching this again as we're recording. And because we're in Canada, we have 30 second ads that come up every now and then, even though we pay two subscription fees just to watch this stuff. So when we were watching it live, 
so many ads um, just coming up like every other minute. And somehow, in spite of that, um, it didn't take us all the way to 1116 like I thought it would. It was supposed to end right at 1116, right? I thought it was, and I don't know if it was just the network didn't execute it properly or what happened, because it seemed like they were really padding out the time with ads. And I thought, oh my God, there are so many ads. There's certainly at least 16 extra minutes of advertisements. (laughs) And it got us past 11 o'clock, but not quite there. So, I mean, symbolically kind of unfortunate, I guess. Yes. So... No, um, Elliot is chasing Angela. I feel like if I saw somebody doing this on the street, I would probably call the police, but it doesn't seem that unusual if you live in New York, I guess. So here we are in the arcade, and this is exactly what had happened in his earlier, what we then thought was a hallucination. So this is where, you know, I think Elliot really believes that this wedding isn't going to happen, and fundamentally something is flawed here. They do have much the same visuals as um, as I did in that 104 scene. So once um, Elliot and Angela find out that the marriage isn't happening in the arcade, he um, decides to take off. The universe starts to get really glitchy here, and it's really abrupt. So before the finale of Mr. Robot was coming up, I live in Canada, edibles are legal here, and there's no real better combination than edibles and Mr. Robot. But this being a two-hour episode, like... It started to hit me right when you got to see Christian Slater's face on everybody. And I was just like, oh, my God, I have made the worst decision in the world because I feel like I just walked into that music video for Aphex Twins Come to Daddy. And I just like felt like I had lost my mind. So I also had a note about Aphex Twins video, but I'll say that I will never recover from seeing Christian Slater's head on a child's body. And I'm more afraid of that than I was afraid of the wheelers in Return to Oz as a child, and that still haunts me. I think that it should be like the Wikipedia picture for Uncanny Valley. (laughs) I'm so upset (laughs) by that. But anyway, we we, uh, have other things to, to talk about. So we do understand that White Rose's machine was deactivated by the game that Elliot played. So he was successful in that. And that this world, in fact, has been created by him. We do get... This episode is a little bit Twin Peaksy to me, too. I think this show has referenced it a little bit over time. Totally. We have the sense from Mr. Robot that this is not a dream, but this is a prison. This is kind of a recurring loop. Oh, you know, I wanted to mention that because it's actually something that's been coming up so often throughout the series I've been meeting for a time to like inject it in um, some people have been referring to the term um, Alderson loop so I wanted to just take a second to address that because um, it's kind of like a slang term in software development which is when you're writing a program which has a loop like a, a while loop which says like run this code for as long as this condition is true or a for loop which is to say like run this code once for every item in a list or other kind of um, collection Um, In an Alderson loop, this is like a a bug in the code, which says that even though you should be able to escape that loop, um, there's like a bug that leads to it being an infinite loop when it should actually uh, exit at one point. So the symbolism that people point to is that um, it basically refers to like an infinite loop that you can inadvertently be trapped in because of adverse circumstances of the the code as it's as it's been written and bugs that are um, existing in it. But the thing that's always bothered me about it, um, as like a developer who has been developing for a long time, like 
nobody ever uses that word, like ever. Like, um, I'm pretty sure the reason people have this theory is because people Googled Alderson computers or something, and then like the first result was the Wikipedia page for Alderson Loop. But in actuality and in my experience, it's more like an inside joke that like one small team at Microsoft had, and it's definitely not a widespread use term. I think that most developers would not be familiar with it, and that's why I think that it's not likely to be deliberate symbolism. I think that it's kind of like backwards justification from people who had tried to seek out some meaning to Elliot's last name. I also think that could be my second solo project after Bad USB, The Alderson Loop. <laughs> Maybe that could be the name of your first album. It sounds like a fine indie rock sort of band. We did get uh, a fan favorite um, doing some activities that I would not say were fan favorites in this next scene. What's worth mentioning is that this is like the, um, it's, it doesn't look like the Tyrell from this universe, right? No, this is our Tyrell as we know him. The suit Tyrell. He's got Chekhov's gun with him. He draws that gun and shoots at Elliot. And of course, that's not the first time we've seen him do that. We do get the iconic Bonsoir Elliot sort of in the background. Um, one thing that's really unnerving here is that as he's dragging the body, you can hear the animal sounds from the woods in episode 404. Oh God, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, it's so spooky when you uh, watch it again. But I, I do remember how spooky that was. <laughs> I do have a theory about why this has happened, which may be far-fetched or not. Tell me it. So I think we have enough information about Tyrell to know that he has also a traumatic childhood and past i think that at some point in their journey together he may have realized that that was elliot's truth as well maybe not to the degree that it was but we consistently hear from terrell i will always be loyal to elliot and so i think here the action even though it looks aggressive he literally shoots the manifestation of elliot that he sees but that's an effort to protect the real elliot He's trying to clear this other altar out of the way. So I think that's his symbolic function here. And I agree this whole scene is a bit fanciful. Um, but I think it's it's his loyalty to Elliot that causes him to shoot the Elliot we know and try to bury him to really protect that core consciousness. You know, that kind of makes me think of that movie um, Inception, which first off, great movie. Have you seen that? Many years ago. Okay, it's great. And it has Ellen Page. So let's say you know that it's like extra great. But um in that, um, they kind of like explore the ideas of the subconscious and kind of like these dream states, which are similar to Mr. Robot here. And in that movie, um, when a character dies in their dream, they immediately wake up. So this really changes like the game theory that goes on in the conflicts in their dreams, because it can actually be useful bargaining to shoot your friend in the head in that case, because you can be just returning them to waking life. Um, and sort of that's what Tyrell is doing to Elliot here, because um, by shooting him, which is not really a very friendly gesture, um, he's kind of moving him along on, on this introspective journey that he's going through. There are a lot of like really glitchy visuals that take us between um, discrete scenes. And after this, we head to uh, Krista's office. So I like seeing Gloria Rubin do quite a different take on the Krista character. But I would say that is all that I like about this scene. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just glad to see Krista again, because I was afraid that we wouldn't see her after she went into the police headquarters in 407 or 408, I guess it must have been. But um, yeah, 
Although I think that like, I do like how this episode ended. I remember we were talking about how it felt um, a little bit like a clip show. Yeah, I think this to me feels just a little bit too expository and a little heavy handed where I tried to imagine what it would be like to watch this episode just with this whole scene deleted. And I think we would still get the sense of story and unification of Elliot that we need to get. And so I just, I guess I just don't appreciate this. And I also am super sensitive to like, remember when shows make whole clip episodes, <laughs> like yeah. how ridiculous. So there's also an interaction with Elliot and Darlene that comes up later where I think they do some kind of like ham fisted, um, just like explaining the story like directly to you in a way that is um, kind of unsubtle. But um to be honest, and like, I'm, I'm not trying to sound douchey about this. I'm not trying to say like, we're the only people smart enough to watch this show. I mean, it's not Rick and Morty. You don't need to be that smart. <laughs> um, but um, I think that like, just for people who probably haven't recorded like 70 hours of a podcast or whatever, like maybe the average viewer does, um, find it more useful to have like reminders of things that they might not remember if they only watched season two, like four years ago. Um, the other thing I think is that like, they're trying to really ramp up the story into a package. And um, aside for the deliberate questions that they're leaving for us, they're really trying to spell it out and have there not be any ambiguity. So there is like a really clear difference where the questions that are answered, they're answered pretty definitively. And I think that that's really what they're trying to do. They're kind of trying to settle the discussion before it even begins. Before this scene, we had heard in the background very subtly Darlene's voice trying to wake him. And so one piece of information we do get from the scene is that Darlene is really his strongest link to reality. And so that's why she's been excluded from this whole sort of perfect universe, because then there's really no draw for him to go back to the real world. One thing we should mention is that what we've been calling kind of our Elliot or regular Elliot, um, he's called the mastermind by the other altars and by the other figures who inhabit this kind of safe mental place that the mastermind is constructed. So this is like um, an even more extreme version of these identity-based twists that we've experienced so far because we realize that even Elliot isn't himself. No, and of course... We also see that this is an internal struggle for control and for who gets to be the public facing person, the public facing part of this disunified whole. To put a bit of a pun on public facing, did you like when Krista stares directly at the camera and talks about the, the voyeurs who watch the show? I did. Actually, there are a couple of nice nods, I thought, there and in the very conclusion of the episode to the imaginary friend who has been so present through all of this story. And it kind of makes your skin crawl just because when you have them actually like look at the camera, it doesn't come up much in the show. And when it does, it's very, very jarring. There's an earthquake produced by his rage. And that's when Elliot wakes up in the hospital and Darlene is there. I bet she's glad she didn't go to Budapest now. But I was expecting that she would like take a phone call at some point. Like, is Dom just missing her? Well, Dom went to Budapest. But is she wondering where Darlene is? <laughs> I think some time has elapsed. You know, they probably texted a few times or whatever. Yeah, yeah, here's hoping. In my mind, um, they sort out all their differences and one day end up together when they're healthy and happy. And then they go home to their home planet. Yeah. <laughs> I would also like a house on that planet. <laughs> so Minister Zhang 
That's how White Rose is referred to on the news. Um, has been killed in an attempted terrorist attack. And I thought that's so interesting. Actually, we were having a conversation in the car on our way here about how we don't always get very insightful reporting about Chinese politics here in North America. And I thought, oh, I wonder, you know, whose decision it was to kind of characterize it as a terrorist attack and who was given the blame mm-hmm. for that death. Good but point. that's just a very small, that's one of those news stories in the background. Yeah, it's not really like they handle it in Chernobyl. One thing I want to point out here is just like the really gorgeous shot of Elliot um, with his shadow that is also casting his silhouette onto the pillow. So this is making us think again about the multiple identities and personalities that inhabit Elliot the person. I feel this final scene together for Team Alderson siblings was very gratifying for me. I'm interested in... um, Well, it is very gratifying, but don't you also see some similarities to the Krista one that I'd mentioned earlier? That it's a little expository? I do think so. I don't find it as heavy-handed and it dodges the clips, (laughs) which I think were a particular irritant to me. I also appreciate some of it's just a function of how much time do you have to tell the story and it's faster to tell than to show. So for some reason, this gets a pass from me in a way that the previous scene doesn't, but I think you picked up on some of the same irritants. What it was just um, like... The way that I, the reason I found it a little grating was that Darlene basically summarizes the entire show up to this point, where she's like, "We did this, and then that, and then that, and then that, and then that, and it all happened." And I swear, <laughs> and um, again, like it wraps it all up into a nice and ambiguous package. But um, it just was weird for her to mention all of these things that are actually from like pretty long ago by now. It's all wrapped up in a neat little package. <laughs> I'm glad you got that because I was I was setting up that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think I did need, or I wanted a little bit of verification though, that because some of the events that have happened in the show are so surreal and Darlene has become our kind of most trustworthy narrator in the show. I think I did kind of appreciate maybe her verification that what we have seen in the last four seasons was not a dream or a fantasy or hallucination. That was in fact what was occurring. And I wanted to share, um, maybe one thought about this scene because I think we see her kind of hesitate when they talk about their motivation for uh, the Deus group hack. And uh, at Sarah Slothanova, one of our listeners says that she thinks that the pause here before she says, you know, we did it for Angela is an indication that maybe Darlene had an awareness of the abuse Elliot had suffered and that Edward wasn't really a person worth avenging or fighting for. So I have to say, I kind of like that. And also maybe because it's satisfying for me to know that what happened happened. I want to think that they hacked the Deus group. I want to think, um, you know, that that certain wrongs have been righted in a certain way. So I I kind of appreciate it. But maybe just because it came from Carly Chaikin. And I just think she's so good. Her performance is so good in this season. And I hope she wins many awards. Absolutely. I know that um, Rami Malek, he's obviously, he was busy with that new James Bond movie. That will need to be some of our postseason content. And then he also has another movie coming up that's actually um, being created by Sam Esmail. So we can be sure that that's going to be great. But I do wonder what um, Carly's going to get up to. I think that we've talked about that and joked that she's going to golf or something. I still don't really understand the inside joke. But um, Oh, there's photographs. She was in a golf magazine. Oh, seriously? Wow. That's actually awesome. Yeah, but like I hope that um I hope that we just get to see some more of her sometime soon. 
I admit I did hope that I was going to have just a tiny bit more white rose content. And I think it's really, I went back and I watched season four uh, over this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And I really think 403 had given me such kind of compassion for, and I don't know, it's weird to, I'm not cheering for white rose in a way, but I also don't think I wanted her to go out like that. So, you know, I, but I suppose this is the way that that story has to be resolved. So Deus Group has been hacked. They've lost all of their money. And now um, they've also been implicated with the um, Chinese, uh, what are they, Minister of State Security. So you can imagine that there's going to be some political fallout from that too. Now this is where Elliot comes clean about what he's learned. Seems like Darlene kind of knew already. (laughs) I find this so interesting. So she does know... And I think the value to her of having a brother she could be close to, even if she knew it wasn't right, was so valuable that she just didn't want to rupture that relationship by interrogating it at all. I wonder if, well, uh, I wonder if that was actually good for him or not. I don't know. And some of it, I think, has to do with her feelings about personal responsibility because she was not able to cope and be a good support person for him. Is that why they say she ran away? Yeah, I think that's why she's been so absent. So for her, it's almost a do-over. She is a person who does not recall that she wasn't there. And so I think it really, it's more for her than for him. What do you think about he tells her that he loves her and she doesn't say anything? Um, I guess it's not as delightful as the um, exchange with Mr. Robot in that previous episode. Well, that one's kind of delightful because you care about them both, but it's also kind of him affirming that he loves himself. Oh, yeah, I guess it is literally himself. So it has that deeper meaning to it. And this one, I don't think she's necessarily rejecting or maybe she doesn't need to say anything. Maybe it's really just for him to be able to express that to her. I feel like it would just be awkward to walk out at that point. But yeah, maybe she just knows that it doesn't have to be said like um they've had so many silence interactions a whole episode of them that they can probably just communicate non-verbally he has a few minutes to consider that although he's tried to create a perfect world for happy elliot that the one thing he's missing is darlene and that authentic even if sometimes complicated relationship with his sister and so i think that is really what it's ironic that they try to keep Darlene away from him because she's the link to this world, but she also seems to be the reason that he can actually let go. And now, um, as we, we do kind of see him let go, it fades off into a white screen. The subtitle says dramatic music. <laughs> and um, it, it starts a conclusion. This hello, friends. He says, that's, that's always been lame, hasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's all right. I think I like it. We've said it so much that it's lost all meaning to me, like semantic satiation style. This is also a phrase that we, we've heard before, but he says, you know, he was a guy trying to play God without permission. And so here we see all of the altars. And the sense that we have is that they're all going to unify. So Elliot will have a sort of unified consciousness and will be sort of his complete self out in the world again. Is this that boardroom that they're all finally united in? Oh, yeah. The E-Corp boardroom of your mind. <laughs> I think I caught Martin Wallstrom saying that it was Trump Soho. So that's where it is, but maybe you wouldn't go there anymore. Oh, we'll have to. <laughs> <laughs> Curious. You seen um, Fight Club lately? Not lately. <laughs> Do you remember the ending? Like the, the climax shots at the end? I don't. Um, well, they play um, Where's My Mind, that song that they pay homage to in the season one finale of Mr. Robot. 
and um, that plays as they're staring out the window watching the skyscrapers fall. So um, the visual imagery of like the four altars looking out the window here, it looks exactly like um, Edward Norton and Helena Bonham Carter looking out at the collapsing buildings in that movie. I do think here that the monologue is nice. And so I think changing the world is a thing we do. But I also agree that sometimes just your existence is a form of resistance and that continuing to be in the world, especially one that's hostile to you and to create, you know, um, prosperity and happiness for yourself is also an act of resistance. So I, I think it's both things, but I appreciate this scene. How do you kind of contrast this to the more radical philosophy that Elliot had had at the beginning of the series? I mean, this seems to me to be a bit about modifying or a bit of temperance to that approach. And I also think it's just true that people can't operate at 100% like that all of the time. So maybe this is a bit like Dom, who needs a little bit of a break and some restorative rest, that I don't think he can continue to to take the risks and do the things he's done all of the time for the rest of his life. Yeah. And it's also not up to one person to change the world. I guess just everybody has to do their own part. And sometimes, um, like Elliot's and like you were saying, um, it's enough just to exist and um, to exist in a way that like is defiance to the people who would be trying to oppress you. So he passes from a blue door to a red door and he steps into a cinema. So in the cinema, we get a really beautiful visual as the episode and the series comes to a close. And so I think some people were dissatisfied with the finale. And one reason I thought that might be um, when I was a negotiator, I kind of noticed if you had to wait a long time for an outcome, you expected it to be really big. Your expectations would grow. And so part of me thought because people have known the series was ending and this would be the finale for so long. I wonder if expectations were just extremely high or people had become very enamored of the particular theories or characters that they really cared about. And so not achieving a certain goal was disappointing here, but I felt, I felt satisfied on the whole. Did you feel satisfied with, with yeah, yeah. the close? Yes. I think that it kind of like checked all the boxes that I needed checked and um, it didn't really like leave me with any questions that are going to keep me up at night, although there's some that are going to be interesting to think to think about and, and come back to. Um, what you were saying also, like, uh, I think that people have built up their expectations over these four years or four seasons. And um, especially with a show that like has set the bar so high, in addition to having a pretty consistent, very high um, quality, it's also kind of like a backloaded story where like, um, a lot of the payoff has been deferred until the finale and um, it kind of like takes a lot of investments just to make it this far. And I think people who have been committed for all of this time, like they're, they're doing so because they think that the ending is going to have a very big payoff. And um, for me, like I, I, I was happy with how it turned out. I know that um, it can't really ever be perfect and it can't answer every single question, especially in such like a wide ranging universe as this one. But I could see how some people would hope that other questions were also answered. I wanted to ask you one more question. What's something about this series that you think is going to stay with you? Uh, good question. I think that like it has some recency bias because this is the episode that we're talking about. But I think that like um, 
one thing that really characterized Mr. Robot to me is like the changing themes over the series and how each season kind of had its own feeling. And um, in this series, like they have so many themes and so many tropes that they take in and they turn them in different unexpected directions. And the show that first off started to be about like hacking and like raspberry Pi rubber ducky nonsense. Um, it ended up really being more about like relationships and trust. And um, I, I talked a bit about how betrayal was a theme of the series in um, 407. So I think that like it reminds me to kind of take like a more soft skills approach to thinking about these shows and kind of thinking about it in a more um, character driven way and um, thinking more about how characters can relate themselves instead of just like as far as the story goes. One thing that I've been thinking about is the show when we start watching it seems to be about one person who's very isolated and feels that isolation very painfully. And I think we live in a world that has structures and systems that are hostile to us. And the way we see the characters in this show kind of thrive or not is kind of based on the interdependency that they create and the ways that they find to be resilient together and to rely on each other, even if that's just one other person that you have. So I think it reminded me that I'm a person where it's very tempting to go it alone, that the world's too tough for that, that, you know, we do, we do need each other. And I think that's really, you know, something that I think about, just as you said, when I think about the relationships and character driven nature of the show. Yeah. Yeah. And that does kind of call back to what Elliot had just um, said a minute ago about how, like, it's not really up to one person. It's just about one person um, continuing to move on and to be a part of the community. So that brings us to the finale of this episode, uh, the season and the series. Uh, we are going to try and bring you some post-season content. We'll have some announcements about that as it becomes ready. But um, I think that's Aaron, uh, producer Dave in absentia, and also I um, would just like to extend a big thanks to our audience for listening to so many of our episodes. Um, it's been a really great time, uh, both uh, sitting here talking. I mean, who doesn't love that? And Aaron being here, that makes it better, but I'd just be okay talking to a wall. Uh, um, we've um, ended this official series, I think at something like 12,000 listens. We've, we've almost got 1,000 on our, our single most popular episode. So it's cool to look back at the numbers and see how many people have been listening. And um, actually from so many different places in the world where people seem to be particularly interested in Mr. Robot. Because Elliot Alderson lives inside us all. No, I'm being a bit silly, but I really do think, you know, this is truly a story that does touch a lot of people. And we're really grateful for all of you listeners. You figured out the things we couldn't figure out and you filled in the gaps and you shared your thoughts and your art and your ideas with us. And of course, you know, without you folks, this show is literally just Devlin and me talking in a room with producer Dave. So, you know, you've really made it something, um, something really amazing. And so the community around the show has been very, very inspiring. And I think we also look forward to all the projects that will come next from all of you insightful and creative folks out there. So thank you so much for being a part of our show. And so with that, we come to the end of our final regular season episode. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir. <laughs>